AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, got to get back, back, back to school again. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. Did either of you recognize where that comes from? I believe that's from Greece. Greece 2. Oh, Greece 2. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I feel dirty now. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. the that's opening great. number from Greece 2. Thanks for bringing the pain you're, to our lives. You're welcome. I'm a cool writer. Oh. C-O-O-L-R-I-D-E-R. We can uh, move on to the topic. Now. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. So we're going to talk today about, again, more about the future of education and, uh, and the rising uh, trend of distance learning and things that are related to that. This idea of being able to attend classes virtually, either as someone who is actually enrolled in a, a course, 
uh, but they are attending through some sort of computer connection or someone who just wants to further their education and they are looking at uh, courses that are available online either for free or, you know, you're paying money, but it's not like it's college credit. Right. Um, and what are these various options that are out there and are they actually effective at teaching people coursework? This is important stuff because, you know, we've seen that there's a, a rising interest in this. People want the ability to access the best in education. And uh, it, it get, I mean, it can be pretty tricky. I, all of us went to college in an era where distance learning was pretty early on. In right, its, right. I, I had a couple like lecture courses that you could attend via video. Nice. Did you oh, have anything wow. like that, Joe? No, I didn't have anything like that. I... I all the classes I took, you had to show up at class for, but I definitely took a lot of classes where there was an online component. So, say, you'd have class meetings, but then you'd go home and part of the work you'd do outside of class would be online on a discussion board or, or something like that. Or to take a quiz, maybe, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Right. I went to college before either of you and uh, did not have any of that. All of my coursework was done. Back the- before they invented the wheelbarrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was... Shortly after the wheelbarrow, which was good because he had to carry but, all those textbooks around. But before around. rope. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, it was uh, it was before online coursework had become part of the University of Georgia. That's where I went. Right. Well, as of as of 2012, um, one study by the Sloan Consortium, which I want to say at the top here, uh, does promote online education. I've got a couple things uh, to, to to quote from them, and so just at the top, they. They, they think it's pretty rad, yeah, so their numbers might be a little bit skewed. but Not, uh, not necessarily unbiased. But according to them, they say that um, students taking at least one online course as of 2012 numbered above 6.7 million in the U.S. alone. Gotcha. So, that, I mean, this is a number we expect to see grow over time. Uh, it's something that I'm sure some colleges think is promising to be able to offer more of these kind of classes. Some might be thinking of it as something of a threat. Uh, mm-hmm. to see that people might pursue education online as opposed to attending a brick-and-mortar school. Um, but really, whether or not it's good for the university system, let's talk about the options that a student has. So there are lots of different ones out there. Uh, one of the most basic ones is just the fact that a lot of schools will offer up coursework online for free uh, there's no college credit. Continuing that's education sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, MIT does this. And, uh, and so you can go and you can, it's, it's almost like auditing a class in college where you're not getting any credit for it, but you get the experience and you get the chance to access some of the, uh, information that students who are, uh, uh, going after an actual degree in that school would have. And I've used this myself in order to do some research and get a basic understanding of concepts that I was really rusty on, specifically chemistry. I used uh, MIT courses to kind of um, relearn some principles in chemistry and learn some things that were new to me, obviously not new to chemistry, but huh. I had never encountered it because my chemistry uh, education only went so far. I was, an English, I, was an, I was an English literature major, right? Sure, sure. Once we determined that you could not turn lead into gold, we moved on. <laughs> now... Was was this one of the one of their um, massive open online courses? This was not. This this preceded the massive open online courses. It was essentially just the basic uh, coursework and some some videos. But a massive open online course tends to get a little bit more involved. 
so that you can actually not just watch and 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 uh, uh, and and read the course material, but participate in a deeper level, even going so far as to be part of an online forum where you can discuss the work with fellow students. Uh, you I think can, in a lot of them, you actually get your work graded, right? Yeah, yeah, you yeah can actually, either, either by fellow students or by a computer program. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so in this case, you could actually be, you know, tested on your knowledge that you're supposed to be gaining through the the course. In my case, it was just truly asynchronous learning, and asynchronous, of course, means that you access it whenever you have the time and 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 interest in doing so. And that's not new. Homework is asynchronous. Yeah, although uh, with the course I was taking through MIT, it was so asynchronous as to be you can take months between classes, right? And that that was the benefit for me was that I could access it when it was convenient for me. Uh, With your traditional homework, you do eventually have a deadline. Uh, So this it's a little bit different. It's it's very much um, up to the student to stay on task and make sure – that you are still pursuing this as far as you need to to get the information you want. And uh, I think it's fantastic. I, I, when I saw this coming uh, becoming a thing, I was really excited. But it's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Sure, sure. Um, I, I would argue, though, that, that most online education puts a little bit more of the, the impetus on the student to I – mean, I mean, of course, any, any course, any kind of education, uh, the student is responsible for – Showing up and actually learning and right. and doing something with that knowledge in in a way that makes it stick with them, um, you know, and different different educational styles of, of of course the teacher has huge impact on that and the way that the information is presented, but especially when you get online, it's it's so much more independent that you really have to be more motivated to make it stick. One figure that I saw about these uh, about these massive open online courses is MOOCs. that they're. MOOCs, yes, which which is strange because the word MOOC means a foolish, insignificant, or contemptible person. I get it all the time. I don't see what the problem is. Go on, vocal bum. Goodness my gracious. Um, but that the average pass rate. Um, uh, I think this was according to the Chronicle of Online Education, perhaps, uh, was only seven point five percent of students who began a given course. Wow. Yeah. Um, we, we, just, just mostly meaning that, um, that most people dropped out after a certain period of time or didn't take the final exam. Of course, th- there could be a, a self-selection issue going on there in that people who are going to be taking online courses are probably more likely people who have, uh, like scheduling conflicts and stuff like that that would mm-hmm. make it difficult to finish a course anyway. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if you're, if you're taking this, it's probably more likely that you're somebody who's also working a full-time job and is tra- and that's the kind of thing that would make it harder to finish a course. Right, right. Now, obviously the benefits here are are pretty easy to grasp. The idea that you could learn without having to relocate to a college uh, if you were able to take all your coursework this way. Clearly, if you had to show up in person for some classes, that wouldn't necessarily be the case. But it would also free up your schedule so that you could be much more flexible on a day-to-day basis. You wouldn't have to set aside specific time unless there was that interactive element to the course where you were expected to participate in some sort of online chat about the subject matter. Um, so it gives a lot more flexibility on both the side of the student and on the teacher, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but then you get into questions like, 
does this is this something that can can give a student the same sort of experience, the same sort of uh, uh, ability to grasp the coursework as they would if they were to attend a face to face kind of interaction? Well, part of it depends on what the educators are putting into the coursework to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. That that survey, there was this big survey that the Chronicle of Online Education did with. Basically, every MOOC educator, huh, that's terrible, yeah. every, every massive open online course educator that they could find who existed on the planet. Right. And they said that typically these professors spent over 100 hours on the coursework before it even started, um, gathering their material together and preparing everything, and then would spend an additional 8 to 10 hours per week on upkeep. So that's still a great imagine, you know, to to me, almost unimaginable amount of work to put into something that you're not so experimental right now. Right, right. Um, Well, and and it's so young in its in its life, assuming that this proves to be an effective and and, uh, efficient means of of teaching people. uh, I would imagine that we would get better at that so that the amount of time spent decreases a little. I don't think it's ever going to decrease so much as to be said to like this is effortless. That's never going to uh, happen. Right, right. But uh it's still it's still education and that's still an incredibly impressive job. Right, right. I mean, you know, and and it's again still fairly experimental at this stage. Uh I will say that I've read some interesting studies. Uh there's one called Learning Style and Effectiveness of Online Face-to-Face Instruction and online and face-to-face instruction, I should say. Um, and this was uh, a study that was published in the American Journal of Distance Education. So take that into consideration. But uh, part of the findings were, and I quote, the results revealed no significant differences in test scores, assignments, participation grades and final grades, although the online groups averages were slightly higher. And so that's kind of interesting in that the people who were taking the course that essentially they looked at courses that were available online as well as in face-to-face, tried to limit the variables as much as possible, which is really hard. We've talked about this before. Yeah. In social sciences, it's really hard to to isolate the, ver- the, the things that you specifically want to look at, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's hard to say that, well, maybe the students who took the online course were just already uh, very familiar with the subject matter or right. they just had a natural affinity for it. It's hard. To, you can't really eliminate that. But it was interesting that they scored slightly higher on average, which at least might suggest that online is around the same at level of effectiveness. Yeah, comparable right. effectiveness. You can't necessarily say it's better, but it doesn't look like it's worse. Uh, still, I mean, again, when you're looking at something like this, the it's you can't you can't say for sure right down the middle because peoples is peoples. I wonder if there are certain subjects or levels of education coursework that are more suited to online education than others. Um, And one reason this occurs to me is that there are a few things that obviously cannot be entirely online. Uh, You know, one really obvious example would be like physical education, like if you were, you know, training, doing sports, something like that. Another one, though, that occurs to me would be lab work in the physical sciences. you you, You don't have lab conditions at home you'd need to you know be able to go you really use shouldn't the equipment. go out and try to right. <laughs> bring home some of the chemicals that you, right. would find you, you in wouldn't a want anything lab. that would accidentally generate like chlorine gas in your own home yeah. obviously and kill everybody who's in there right um and, you, know, and you really you shouldn't be doing microbiology at home i mean it's all <laughs> these are things where 
you need stuff that's yeah, you need the, the facilities mm-hmm. facilities beyond what would be available to you yeah some some courses you can easily imagine being done out of the home like things like basic electronics where one of the things that everyone has to get is a basic breadboard mm-hmm. which is uh, easily available in in at least yeah, in the United just States. Order and, a kit. And yeah. more more or less non hazardous. Yeah. But then you know, like you were saying, something more complex, something that's in the organic chemistry. Then you it's know, you part can, of the reason why people have been going to universities to begin with. I mean, right. to, to to have access to that wonderful equipment that they that they get. Well, right. I mean, think about that. Universities really for a long time were just, they were centers of learning because that's where the knowledge was held, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just where the experts were. That's where all the books were too. And if you wanted to get access to that learning, you had to go there. But now we've got this distributed network that's out that allows at least some of that information to be available on a much more global scale. And it's, and now we're, we're, you know, it's a couple of decades after that's taken effect, we're starting to see some pretty significant disruption in that in that industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that taps into a broader interesting issue that we touch on a little bit in the video, but that taps into a broader issue, uh, which is that I think information is just simply less rare than it used to be. Sure. Um, the issue now is that there there's so much we can learn and we really can get at it. Like if you are a person who has a laptop with access to the Internet there's information that you can get that would not have been available had you lived, you know, in the same place a few hundred years ago. Like sure. you, or even a few decades ago, yeah. honestly. Um, and so, but there's obviously still just as much need for education, and that's interesting to me. It, right. it says that infor- uh, education is more than just the bank where you go withdraw information. Exactly. Because yes. now that bank is your computer. Yet school is no less useful. Well, and I would argue, or it seems to me, is no less. I would, useful. I would argue, school's role is really the most important thing: is teaching people how to think, right. teaching people how how to think and how to learn. Because, uh, like, just just take a, a a casual interaction between people these days, where uh, Lauren and I have a conversation, and she mentions a movie that we've both seen, and then she says, "Oh, it's got that that." person in it that's so and so and then you just quickly type in something online and it pulls up the information you have it and then you continue your conversation now casually that's as if i had remembered the name of the actor but in fact i haven't i just used the computer i've offloaded that to the computer and while i have access to the information i don't really i can't say that i know it i might have actually committed it to memory after i've looked it up because that's refreshed it but you know, on a on a small scale, that's kind of what we're talking about that you could apply across the board. You could give someone access to all the world's information. It does not mean that person's going to understand it and make it meaningful in any way. So obviously education is more than just give them access to the data. You have to teach people how to think. Right. And I think that that's why a lot of the, the, the huge important Ivy League kind of universities um, have started jumping on this massive online thing, you know, at uh, MIT and Harvard and all, all like 33 of the biggest names in post-secondary education have signed up for, for, for these, for these massive online things. And, uh, and they've got, and they've been, they've been earning a lot of venture capital towards them and pouring a lot of their own funds into it and, uh, spending a lot of time and effort developing it because I, you know, because they had started putting out this terrific information, like, like Jonathan was saying, his chemistry class, but, 
it's not it's just information at that point. It's not someone guiding you on a learning course. Right. I can I can watch the videos, but I can't go and ask the teacher a question if I don't understand something that was that came up in the lecture. Or I have to you might be able to dig up his email and drop him a note, but right. whether or not he'd reply. Yeah, I mean that know. guy's got his own stuff to deal sure. with. He's got all these actual students who are really in that lecture hall and not just uh watching online. Uh yeah, one of the schools that's doing this is uh the rival to my my school. Georgia Tech, right down the road. So, guys, if you ever want, and I say this, guys, as to Lauren and Joe, we just do a little field trip down to Georgia Tech, talk to some people about MOOCs sometime. That might be kind of fun. We should. Yeah. So that Why didn't we it's do a that date for this episode? Because Excellent. we didn't think about it until just now. But no, there, there are instructors there that are working on putting together these online courses so that they are able to uh, to meet the the needs of students and uh this is really exciting stuff for me because it means that i, I you know I, I don't know about either of you both of you may have been exemplary students who really appreciated the whole student experience when you were going to school yeah, they're not, shaking not their heads really. no. i I wish I could go back and do it again. Me too. Yeah, me so too. I, I feel like I, I feel like I wasted my time there yeah, so much. I, I, just just grinding through it rather than actually taking advantage of it. Like what well, was wrong with my brain right, when well, I was eighteen years old? We were all we were, we all were immature. eighteen years we were old. Immature. All three of us, of course, now work for a company where curiosity is the principle that we all are are looking Working at. Towards, that's that's right, that's yeah. what we that's that's the guiding light of discovery, right? It's all about curiosity. And, and our jobs are to learn things and then talk about them. Right. So, so we all obviously professionally have this need to do it. But I think we all also share that just as a personality trait at this point, that it's one of those things where you, you just you want to learn more because the more you learn, the more you realize how amazing the universe is. And it's it's something that I know I possessed a small amount of that when I was a student, but not nearly enough to appreciate it while it was happening. And I really wish it had been otherwise, because who knows what more I could have picked up during my college years, besides the fact that I could skip four days out of five in statistics or uh, uh, symbolic logic and still pass with an A. It's the only thing I really learned. Nice humble brag there. Yeah. (laughs) It's the only class I took that was at all related to math that completely made sense to me. Everything else I had to work hard at to understand. So, of course, I'm going to humble brag about it. (laughs) No, I I learned some important life skills about how to talk my way out of assignments. I learned uh, exactly how much water I could add to ramen so that it would be tasty. I Uh, learned how uh, shamefully lazy and stupid I was. Yeah, so valuable lessons. However, we probably could have learned more. So that's, you know, that's why these sort of things really interest me is that it gives people like us the opportunity to continue learning once we've really developed that appreciation for what learning is. And and also hopefully in the future they're going to uh be refining these and and working on them and uh incorporating them into the uh the official educational system and start, you know, being able to give people uh, credit towards credit for for like, like an actual degree. Yeah, yeah. yeah there the as far as offering up credit for things like these massive open online courses, that's just in its infancy. Yeah, uh, the courses have been around for a couple of years, but uh, but it, they were always kind of divorced from the concept of college credit. It was more yeah. like if you want to continue your education, uh, here are some opportunities to do that, uh, and some of them are even though they are open online courses, meaning that they are open to anyone, they do cost money to attend. Some of them are free, some of them aren't. Mm-hmm. So 
um, something else to keep in mind. I'm curious if these things will uh, still be viable if we discover, and I'm not saying we will, but if we discovered that there is a really important part of education that comes from physical presence, like being in a room with people, That's does good, that matter? I think it does matter. I I think that a student can get a good grasp on a subject Without that element, I, I do think that that's possible, that if you have a well-designed online course, a student can have uh, what would be considered a passing grade, you know, even even an exemplary grade. But you might not have the full appreciation of it that you would if you were in a class of like-minded individuals and could have conversations about this stuff. Uh, anecdotally, I can give you an example of this. In high school... Uh, I went to classes. I was in uh, uh, lots of different courses with the same people year after year. And in general, it was it felt like it was, you know, a place where you sat down and you would learn a few things. But, you know, you're really not giving it your full attention. You weren't. I never felt fully engaged with in most of my classes, um, which speaks a lot about my own character. I don't mean to say that this is anyone else's fault. So I, I was given the opportunity to go to a special summer course called uh, Governor's Honors Program. It was like 600 students that are picked to to go to this thing. And you had to really be interested in whatever the subject matter was that you were nominated in because it meant you were giving up your summer for six weeks to go and be in classes with other students. But that meant that I was in classes with people who were really, really interested in the same stuff I was interested in. And it turned the classes into these incredible discussions where – we didn't just learn about whatever the subject was. We really explored it and came up with new ideas and gained a real appreciation for it, which is something you can't necessarily replicate with an online course, even with forums and chat rooms and things of that nature. That being said, uh, as soon as that program was over, and I th- that was when I was a rising senior. Rising juniors and seniors are the only ones allowed to go to this program which meant that I had my senior year to go through in high school. I come back to high school, senior year, and day one, back in that classroom, I'm right back to where I was before I went to this this special program. So even if you do have the face-to-face interaction, there's no guarantee that you're going to have that uh, fantastic environment where it's really conducive to not just learning but appreciation and real comprehension of what the subject matter is about. However... It at least gives you that opportunity. Uh, well, a component, some of these, with some of these massive online courses, some of the people taking them have taken it upon themselves to get together in study groups uh, uh, locally. Right. Yeah, which is good. I mean, I think that that's an element that's very important in education. Uh, so I wonder if we do find out that, that face-to-face time uh, or sort of a gathering in a room is really important to the educational experience, I wonder if that can be simulated at a distance Well, just yeah. by something like virtual environments, which is not that hard to do, right? That's certainly a possibility. I mean, the, the, there, I can talk a little bit about some real work that's been done in virtual environments, not in an educational setting, but in a way that demonstrates that being in a virtual environment can be immersive enough so that it gives you the same effect as if you were in the real environment. It's neurologically convincing. Yeah, uh, and it really only takes a few minutes of getting acclimated to the virtual environment for this to actually take effect. And the way I've seen it in action is through the treatment of social anxiety disorders and phobias. 
So, for example, let's say that you have a fear of heights, and you use a virtual environment. You use a a you know a head-mounted display, and uh, it tracks your head motion so that your perspective changes within the virtual environment based upon how you look around. And they create uh, an environment that simulates being at the top of a building, or or not even at the top of the building, just in a hotel room that's like twenty stories up or something. They've actually discovered that the patients were starting to have physiological responses, stress responses, just as if they would if they were in a physical environment that was in that same set of circumstances. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's a it's a kind of therapy where they can get uh, it's you know exposed to the stimuli that normally cause them their their disorder, their their anxiety rather, uh, and get more acclimated to it. And it's to build up to the point where they can actually uh, confront this in a real life setting. And I've also seen it used not just in, uh, you know, a height sort of thing, but also for someone who has a fear of flying. Right. And they can go and have a virtual trip to an airport, not even getting on a plane yet, just to introduce them to this experience, the things that would set off their, their anxiety triggers and to do this enough times, knowing ultimately that they are in a safe environment. You know, they are never to a, there's never at a point where they think, I'm really in an airport. It's just convincing enough where they get that physiological response, but they know ultimately they're in a safe place. And they can work toward actually conquering that phobia and managing it to a point where they can, uh, they can do these, these things without uh, being completely overwhelmed yeah, by yeah. their anxiety. So if it's convincing for that, then it could easily be con- convincing. I think for uh, yeah, I can imagine. Education, I can imagine. Like think about uh, think about the we have the tools already, right? We've got all the pieces that we would need to be able to do this. We could use a combination of things like webcams or even devices like uh, the Xbox Connect to get the footage of the student. You've got a, a monitor where you could watch the teacher, or if you want to get really fancy, you get something like the Oculus Rift. This is this head-mounted display that has a, a screen for each eye, and it sets it up so it's a three-dimensional view for the person who's wearing it, and it can be wired directly to a platform so that when you look around, you see what you would see if you were in that physical location. Let's say that you're in a virtual classroom with 29 other students. And so you look around, you see where everyone else is sitting. Now, it might be some sort of avatar representation of that person, probably without the Oculus Rift on top of their heads, because otherwise you're just all looking Mm -hmm. at cyborgs of each other. But it would be an interesting way to try and have a telepresence in a classroom. Uh, Yeah. So moving moving towards something uh, something like in Snow Crash. um, One note, I do think that if I had an Oculus Rift, my first choice would not be a chem lab to visit. But that's fair. But uh, but 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 also on the flip side, if you if you're working towards a, a virtual reality helmets or even even if you're just on a laptop with a regular old webcam uh, on, on the flip side, teachers can start using the the feedback from that technology to hone their lessons uh, to, to figure out where your visual attention is and, uh, you know, what's what's working for you and what isn't. I mean, if it's a small enough group, why not something like Google Google Hangout? Yeah, you, know? you can yeah. do something along those lines or or design a tool that is similar to that. And then, mm. I mean, if nothing else, you can have class discussions that are in something like that where whom, whomever is speaking first or loudest is uh, taking center stage. And then everyone else just sits there and watches. You just click or raise your hand button. Yeah, yeah. I would always be front and center on that you one. You would I know. be. <laughs> I know. You're both giving me the look of Jonathan would never stop talking. He would not cede. I refuse to give over the chair. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's, we're already seeing this in some forms, uh, implemented in various ways. Uh, I'm, I'll be, I'm sure we're going to see this develop further. I'm encouraged that the studies so far seem to suggest that it's as effective as going to, uh, an actual, uh, class, but I also am encouraged that there are students out there who recognize the value in having these discussions in person and going beyond just consuming information and making sure you have some sort of level of understanding and retention. Uh, because like we've said, learning is more than just that. Well, at core, I would say learning has a lot to do with socialization. Mm-hmm. It, it's not just getting information and it's not even just learning how to use that information in a smart way, uh, but it's being part of an intellectual community and knowing how to interact with that community and knowing how to uh, submit ideas and to receive them. And receive yeah. feedback on them. Yeah. yeah that, that's the, that, that process is really at the core of academic learning. Yeah. Sounds, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm really interested to see the progression, right? I'm really interested to see, like, in 10 years, where are we going to be with this sort of trend? Uh, will we eventually get to a point where the physical schools become sort of a, an afterthought? Mm-hmm. Uh, part of me, the nostalgic part of me says, I hope that never happens. Uh, and then another part of me is thinking, well, how exciting would the future be, you know, in that case? Well, I mean, I think one of the most important parts of having stuff like in-class discussions and things like this is it's one of the main ways I think kids interact with ideas they're not used to. Sure. You know, yeah. you, you're yeah. going to be – you may grow up with people who think the same way about as you do about most issues or something. But suddenly you go to college and somebody raises their hand in class and says something you've never heard before. And you don't have the, the – algorithm on Facebook um, hiding that information from you because you don't like it so much. Right. Right. Where you've insulated yourself so that the only people that you ever hear from are the ones who... Who you agree with. Yeah. Yeah. What a wonderful development that is, huh? (laughs) Hey, I'm guilty of it. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I have set up those filters. I have not, so... I'll show you how after the podcast. (laughs) All right. So uh, that wraps up this discussion about, about distance learning and MOOCs. And uh, guys, if you have any suggestions for future topics that we can tackle, please let us know. You can send us an email. Our address is fwthinking at discovery.com or go to fwthinking.com. It's a fantastic website. You can read our blogs. You can watch the videos. You can listen to the podcasts. And we also have links to our social media there. So you can interact with us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Google+. We look forward to hearing from you, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.